Good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. I'm Sam, one of the staff team here. This morning's sermon is about family, specifically God's family. Now, we all know from our own experiences that family doesn't just happen. Family requires time, effort, investment, respect, patience, love. And it's no different with God's family. It doesn't just happen. In these concluding verses to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, we're going to explore Paul's top tips, three top tips for making a go of church family, God's family. Paul's logic, you see, is that if we are adopted by God as his sons and daughters, then that makes us family. That makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word. Please, would you build us up, your family here at St. Michael's. Please give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In the previous few verses, Paul talked about the day of the Lord, which he says will come like a thief in the night. He reminded the Thessalonians that they and we with them are children of the light. We belong to the day. The Lord's return ought not to surprise us. We ought to live in the light of it, expecting it, ready for it. Because Christ died for us, Paul says, we're able to, even in this life, live together with him. Therefore, he says, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. In today's passage, he gives more specific instruction on how to encourage and build one another up. That's the kind of church, the kind of family that Paul longs for, one that spurs each other on, eggs each other on, to love the Lord and to live well together. I don't know what you made of the reading, um, but as Paul kind of comes, comes into land, comes to the end, um, it reminds me of you know, that, those times when maybe you were on holiday and you, uh, you bought a postcard and got around to writing it, and you sort of start off with these long, descriptive, effusive sentences about the wonderful time you're having, and you soon realize you're running out of space, and your sort of sentences get shorter and shorter, more succinct as you kind of cram in all that you want to convey in that short space. Paul's thoughts are a bit like that, the sort of two-word two sentences and um, all sorts of kind of imperatives here and there. But his thoughts aren't completely disjointed. There seems to be this overarching theme to them of life within God's family. Paul addresses the whole church. I think that sort of the term kind of brothers and sisters comes up sort of four or five times in this short passage. He focuses on our relationships with our leaders, with one another, and how we conduct ourselves, particularly when we come to worship, when we come together. And his first top tip for life within God's family is this. Value your leaders. Value your leaders. And it might sound self-gratifying, um, 
for me to stand up here and say that. As one of the clergy, you might think I'm just using this passage, using my platform to, to say, guys, you need to look after me and us, the, the staff team, better. But it's really not like that. If you've been here the last few weeks, uh, months, you'll know that we've been preaching through 1 Thessalonians. I didn't choose this passage. I was asked to speak on it. There doesn't need to be an us versus them mentality. Um, Paul charges us at the end of the letter to have it read to the whole church family. So it's only right that we preach through it, read through it together. And actually, on the whole, we, the staff team, are valued here. I'm not standing up as one who's been hurt and broken and is utterly taken for granted. Rather, as Paul says, it's a matter of doing these things more and more. And you might think it's an easy point to preach for me, value your leaders, but actually there's a challenge for me in these words as I read them, because I want to be one who is considered you know, hardworking among you, admonishing, caring for you in the Lord. I, I aspire to that. And for me, it's a reminder that my role here as curate, one of the staff team, is to serve, is to serve all of you, serve the family of God here, to build us up in love, to serve the Lord. Anyway, my position aside, we'd all agree, I'm sure, with Paul, that those who work hard among us are of value, those who care for us and admonish us. They are worth acknowledging. And if we think back kind of over our, our lives, our walk um, in the faith, you know, where would we be without those people along the way who have cared for us and shown us the way? Paul himself of course, knows intimately the work involved with planting a church, seeing churches grow. Perhaps he's writing because he knows too the pain of being underappreciated, taken for granted. He asks the Thessalonians to hold their leaders in the highest regard because of their work. A healthy church has mutual respect between all of its members, but especially between its people and leaders. And Paul knows that that's not easy, that's why he's writing. A friend told me how he went for a job interview to be a vicar at a church. He said it started off as usual, a couple of members of the, the PCC, the church council, kind of outlining the role, beginning the interview. But it soon kind of went off track as the, the two members of the, the church council began to argue about the flaws and failings of the previous vicar. They were sort of kind of outlining things they wanted to see done better. And it went on to the point that this friend interrupted and, and pointed out that these two had, had missed the point. They'd forgotten or taken for granted all the, the hard work the previous vicar had done over the years, praying for them, caring for them, admonishing them. And instead in that sort of process of going from one vicar to the other, perhaps, they'd become kind of focused overly on areas where you know, they'd felt disappointed or, or let down and wanted this new vicar to do a better job. Paul says, acknowledge hardworking leaders, hold them in the highest regard, live in peace. Now in some professions, perhaps those represented among us, hard work, good work would re uh, result in pay rises, promotions, bonuses, 
that's not how it works in the church. We have the joy as leaders of, of seeing us grow, seeing the church family grow. Even so, acknowledgement, respect, and peace go a long way. To mix metaphors, we, the family of God, the body of Christ, rely on each other. We all have different skills and gifts, personalities, temperaments, experiences, and parts to play. As clergy, we're here to equip the whole of God's family for ministry. But whatever our part, surely we want to be a blessing to the rest of the family. As far as possible, we want to be full of life, full of joy, quick to make peace with one another, and slow to grumble. As Peterson puts it in the message, and now friends, we ask you to honour those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Paul's second top tip for life within God's family is to bear with one another. To bear with one another. Have you heard the saying, friends are the family you choose? Friends are the family you choose. If I'm honest, that I can sort of see the kind of sentiment behind it, I don't really like it. It seems to imply that friends, uh, that family aren't friends or can't be friends, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever heard the reverse? Family are the friends you don't choose. It's not, not the way people tend to think of it. But to reiterate, if we belong to God, if we're adopted as his children, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. That makes us family. And if we're family, we haven't chosen each other. God has chosen us. And we're called to get along with each other, to love one another, to bear with one another. Families aren't always straightforward, are they? Brothers and sisters get on each other's nerves. Perhaps you can remember when you, know, you were a child and you'd fight with, argue with, annoy your brother or sister. And if you have children, then you well know it's only so long before it ends in tears. Just so in the church family. This side of eternity, it's never going to be plain sailing for all of us at any one point. Paul lists three kinds of family members to look out for. In one commentary I read by John Stott, he referred to, um, to them as problem children, which... Um, I'm sort of reticent to use, but we all kind of resonate with that, that idea sort of in the family, in the wider family, those that we need to particularly bear with. Paul lists them, the idle and disruptive, perhaps those who at the time were so expectant of the day of the Lord that they'd given up work, given up their jobs because you know, the Lord was going to come back tomorrow, so why, why bother going to work? The dis idle and disruptive, the disheartened and the weak. And I suppose in a survival of the fittest kind of community, those would be the kind of people you'd leave behind. You'd shun them in order to maintain the strength of the community. But that's not how family works. And it's certainly not how God's family works. 
it's interesting when you read the passage and look at the, the way kind of Paul speaks, he asks the church to value its leaders. And then he urges us to bear with one another. Like he, he knows he gets the challenge of it. It's hard. It's countercultural. And it's interesting that in verses 12 and 14, he's addressing the same crowd, brothers and sisters, the general body of believers. This call to, to bear with one another, to warn, to encourage, to help, applies to all of us, not just the clergy or the staff team. The hard work of bearing with one another is a ministry that belongs to us all. As the message has it, our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. But it's easy, isn't it, and somewhat natural when we're hurt or annoyed or frustrated to want to deal a similar blow. Yet Paul says be patient with everyone or perhaps be patient with them all. God has been infinitely patient with me and so I'm called to be patient with you. My brothers and sisters, pursue patience, Paul says. And he goes further. He says, in effect, renounce retaliation. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. And instead, kindle kindness. That's the sort of family that we ought to be. The message puts it like this. Be patient with each person, attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. One of the ways that we in the Banner household are learning patience at the moment is through the addition of a four-legged friend, Bella, a five-month-old French bulldog. We think she's adorable. And most of the time, you know, she's, she's great. She's pretty consistent at sitting down by the back door when she wants to come in. She's actually really good at waiting for us to say okay before she leaps across the kitchen to her dog bowl full of food. And she's a delight when she's kind of tired out and just wants to snuggle up for a nap. But sometimes, sometimes she is a handful. Sometimes she gets on our nerves. That moment when you sort of turn your back, you think she's just kind of playing nicely with her, you know, allocated dog toy, and then quick as, quick as you like, she's up the stairs, you know, into the lounge, chewing that thing that you forgot to put away, or uh, that sort of thing you didn't think she was interested in at all. Um, the other day, there were some, some friends around. Um, Bella was particularly interested in uh, one of their watches, so they sort of took it off and put it to one side. Sure enough, we were sort of in the kitchen a moment later, sort of clearing up, and uh, Bella's sort of prancing around with this watch in her mouth. And she, you know, she knows she's not supposed to have it, and she's so chuffed with herself. She's sort of underneath the table, kind of between the chair legs, where, she, where you can't get her. It's tempting, it can be tempting to snap. But we love her, and so we bear with her. And it's funny, isn't it, how it's easy to sort of laugh and smile about cutting a little puppy some slack but it can feel so much harder when it's each other when it's precious members of God's family Jesus taught us to forgive and Paul here urges us 
to strive to bless each other. I wonder what you're striving for this morning, at the moment, in this season. A new job, a promotion to just look after, provide for your family, a certain fitness goal. Or in the same way that you're, I imagine, striving for what you perceive to be good for yourself, for your family. Paul says, strive to think of others as well, to strive to do what's good for them. We belong to the day, the day of Jesus' return. And it is coming, that is to shape how we live here and now. We've received salvation in Jesus and through his spirit, we live together with Jesus. So who needs warning? Who is it that needs encouragement or help? Perhaps the place to start is to think, who are we annoyed with? Who are we tempted to pay back wrong for wrong? Let's start with them. How could we bless them this week? And if all of a sudden you feel really blessed by everyone else this week, don't take that the wrong way. Paul's third tip for a flourishing family is don't, ex- don't extinguish the Spirit's fire. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Three punchy commands for us as we go about our lives, but especially as we gather together in worship. We're invited into joyful worship, along with awe and humility. We're given permission, we're encouraged to celebrate, to rejoice. We're invited to commune with God, to walk with him through the day to day, to enjoy his presence in the mundane, to always pray whatever's going on, whatever's on our hearts and to never give up. Give thanks not for all circumstances necessarily, but in all circumstances. Whatever's going on, whatever our circumstances, we have much to thank God for. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, writes the psalmist. And it can be good to remind ourselves to rehearse those things that we are grateful to him for. I think we often wonder what God's will is for our lives. And there are a couple of places in the Bible where um, you know, it's talked about, but here it is spelled out for us. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How precious that is. So don't quench the spirit, don't extinguish the spirit's flame. The spirit burns like a fire within us, giving life, energy, shining light. Don't put it out. I love a good fire. And growing up, we had a few trees in the garden and, you know, sort of those weekends would come round where the secateurs would come out and you'd sort of lop a few kind of branches off, make a good kind of pile at the, at the end of the garden. And you know, we knew there was, you know, there was a bonfire on, on the way, in the making. My dad took great pride in, in teaching us the, the art of, you know, preparing a good fire. One that was sure once you sort of put the, the match to its base to, to go up, to stay alight. And if, um, you know, if you're not familiar, just in case you, you know, want to practice your fire making, uh, we would typically probably put up a couple of bricks at the bottom to sort of make sure there's kind of airflow to the heart of the fire. 
And then we sort of crisscross a few little twigs. Then on top of that, a bit of newspaper kind of carefully scrunched up and twisted, crisscrossed, lots of, lots of air. And then um, you slowly sort of build up with increasingly big kind of twigs and sticks into a, an excellent sort of TP wigwam style. And then you, know, you obviously need a bit of a gap for the match to, uh, to touch the newspaper. And I don't remember that particular fire, that kind of model ever failing. But I do remember a time when I was hanging out with a friend and spontaneously, um, I think it was dark, drizzling, um, he had a fire pit in his garden and he said, you know, let's, let's have a fire, let's make a fire, that'll be fun. We didn't really have the sort of resources and we probably didn't have the patience either. Um, it was more a case of sort of chucking whatever we had kind of to hand from the garden into the fire pit and sort of hoping that the fire lighters would, would do all the work, which sure enough, they didn't. And the thing with the fire is, while there are embers, while there's some kind of heat, there's a chance, you know, with a bit of hard work, a bit of careful blowing or fanning, you know, you can sort of rekindle the fire. But once it's out, it's out. And that particular fire was like that. I think we perhaps tried once or twice, probably used the whole box of matches. But it wasn't going anywhere, it was out. God gives us his spirit for our good. He gives us gifts for the common good. Don't put the spirit's fire out. Don't extinguish his light. Let's stoke our own fires and each other's as we meet Sunday by Sunday, as we meet during the week. Let's encourage one another, rejoice together, pray together, give thanks together for all the Lord has done and is doing and will do yet. Paul specifically says, don't quench the spirit, don't treat prophecies with contempt. When it comes to gifts of the spirit, there can be a temptation to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's easy to slip into cynicism. But Paul encourages a more mature, more nuanced approach to test them all, to hold on to what is good and to reject every kind of evil. As Paul brings his letter to a close, he finishes where he started. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I find after the barrage of imperatives in this passage, there's a wonderful sense of relief in being reminded that at the heart of the gospel is grace. The heart of God is grace. We start and we end with grace and we journey day by day by grace. God sent his son to die for us while we were still sinners. And he loves it as we journey with him. Let's allow the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to touch our hearts and minds that we might increasingly be sons and daughters of God who bear his likeness and his family, his family here on earth reflect his glory and his love to the world. Let's pray. Would you, God, the God of peace, sanctify all of us, your family here at St. Michael's, through and through. May our whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that you are faithful and you will do it. Amen.